Do not adjust your headphones. This is really happening. It's been about about two months, something like two months now, after promising definitely at the end of the last episode that we would see you the week after. We failed in that spectacularly. But we're eventually, we have returned. Scrums and Scrumpy is back. And if we've come at the most opportune moment, we couldn't miss this one as we run up to the first weekend of, I think it's the greatest rugby tournament in the world. I'm going there. Yeah, it's the Six Nations. What more could you want? And as usual, I've managed to wrangle my two trusty steeds into the into the show. <laughs> yeah, they didn't like that one. Um, into into the video again. Christy O'Brien, firstly, how are you doing, mate? I'm very well, thank you. Excited to be back. As a, food first, mate. <laughs> as a, as a Eddie Jones recently mentioned in his book, which I've read, very insightful. He said, um, Six Nations is the greatest annual rugby championship in the world and i uh, think he's quite a controversial figure but that may be his uh, coldest take um out there i completely agree i'm very excited for it and i think it'll be a potential to be a very fascinating tournament i don't quite like the way you just dropped in that you'd read a book it makes you sound very intellectual <laughs> I, have many, job, I have many leather-bound books <laughs> rich mahogany <laughs> And on the other side of things, sipping on his his vein rouge, uh, is Tom Hitchner. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, greatest, what was it, Christy? Greatest annual rugby tournament. Yeah. That's a, although I agree with him, that does sound a bit like assistant to the regional manager. In my view. <laughs> it's a lot of words. No, to be fair, but you yeah. know, I'll clarify. I think it's the greatest annual sporting tournament, in my opinion, no. for me. No. I'm, I'm very excited. Um, we'll get into it, but um, I will say that this is probably one of the most open tournaments we've had in years in terms of upheaval in coaching and players. So, yeah, it'll be very interesting yeah. to get stuck into. Yeah, well, we're going to stuck, get stuck into the Six Nations very shortly. Just to give you an idea of what we've got coming up, we do Six Nations and have a sort of a bit of a roundup of the, the most recent Premiership stuff and then basically kind of tying that into everything we've missed while we were away because we've missed quite a lot. Um, we're also going to just wrap up the uh, state of play in Europe. And uh, ironically, we're recording this on Brexit Day that we're going to wrap up Europe. But, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's I promise, I'd like to promise that's the only reference to that we're going to make in this show. Probably isn't. But anyway, we move on. Uh, that, that'll be part one, uh, time, time willing. Part two, we've got a lot of huge scoops to catch up on. You know, I know it's slightly, slightly sort of building on now. Of course, we're going to talk about Saracens. We've been trying, we've been waiting for this for a, for a year and a half. We're not going to miss this opportunity. Uh, and we've also got Finn Russell. We've got player moves all over the place. Uh, we'll be looking into all of that. And then part three, we've got the usual Chloe's questions. Something either Hall of Fame or take it back that we haven't really, really thought about yet. We'll do that at some point. And the usual, any other business. But, you know, there was, there was only one thing that made sure that we gathered ourselves again on this momentous day, and it is the Six Nations. Uh, and I think I've been pretty much waiting for this since the end of the World Cup, I'll be honest. It feels like everything everything between the World Cup and this has slightly been a bit of a preview, but we are finally sort of getting, getting ready to go. First weekend, we've got Wales, Italy, and is it... Is it at the Aviva, Ireland, Scotland? It is indeed at the Aviva, yes. 
I should have the fixtures in front of me, really. Yeah, should be, uh, I mean, you're the host of this pod, pod, mate. Yeah, all right, mate. When did you last write a pod, Doc? It's <laughs> a good question. More recently than me, to be honest. Yeah. Probably, but, uh, anyway, that's what you get when you have days off. All right. Uh, yeah, Wales, Italy, and Ireland, Scotland uh, tomorrow on Saturday. Obviously, today, if you're listening to it, it's Saturday morning, which you probably will be. Um, and then France, England at three o'clock on Sunday. In the Stade de France, Jack. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Locations are, are your strong mm. point, Christoph. Well, well done. Massively, mate. Big time. I'm a big game player, TM. <laughs> um, and obviously, it's a momentous sort of moment in terms of Wales. It's officially marks the start of the Wayne Pivak era. Uh, in terms of competitive games anyway. Uh, looking through his first side, he's he's sprung a couple of surprises, I think it's fair to say. Um, with the event, with I know we, yeah, we he doesn't have Jonathan Davis available to him, but with Nick Tompkins there, you wouldn't have fancied that he'd pick George North at 13, but he's clearly seen an opportunity to, to blood Johnny McNichol on the right wing. Uh, Thomas Williams takes the number nine shirt, probably not the proper first choice, you'd have to say. So look at Gareth Davis, the returning Reese Webb, who's on the bench, and maybe even uh, Alan Williams in front of him. But, you know, he's got his opportunity, so fair play to him. Uh, forward pack, fairly as expected, although the unfortunate news coming out of the week is that he's uh, lost Josh Navidi for the whole campaign, which is a great shame for him after, obviously, sustaining injuries in the World Cup as well. But, um, yeah, I think that, that aside, there's not really too many surprises in this Welsh team, and he's clearly... Um, he's, he's clearly you know going fairly steady in his first game in charge because obviously he knows that he's got a big job to fill and might as well stick to the players that have been there and done it I guess yeah um, it is a new era with Wayne Kovac um, uh, for me I think the most interesting thing will be whether Gatland was able to drag these performances out of them that were above their station because you look at it on paper maybe you'd, you'd have doubts about north of 13 like you said jack uh, uh thomas williams at nine uh josh navidi will be a big miss so i'll obviously i don't think they'll have any problems against italy but going throughout the tournament it'll be interesting to see how they go and whether the gatland effects over those what nearly a decade he was in charge so but yeah, it's an exciting new era. Um, they've picked the best coach available to them in Welsh regional rugby, undoubtedly. So, yeah, it, it, we said off air it'd be interesting because this is not not necessarily free here, but now is the time to experiment with your lineup and maybe uh, sort out some tweaks you need to sort out. But yeah, a back three of McNichol, Halfpenny, and uh, Josh Adams is is pretty exciting and. Um, as a Saints fan, I know we've tried North of 13 before and it's not been too successful, but give him a go against Italy and we'll see how he slots in there, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I, suppose, I suppose from my opinion, I'm sort of looking at it and uh, is interesting in in comparison to a couple of other coaches, namely Eddie Jones and Gregor Townsend, who have um, contracts only up to... Uh, 2021, so next year or maybe the year after. Pivak's definitely been very open in the fact he is looking towards the World Cup and perhaps this team is the very first sort of embryonic um, start of looking towards that bigger picture. 
obviously pick um uh, uh Reece Zamet isn't in the 23 but he's been bid in the squad he's looking at people like Johnny McNichol he's trying George North at 13 to maybe accommodate more of these speedier wingers on the wing so Borson Nick, Nick Tompkins and things it's gonna be very interesting for me um as Tom said the change in coaching Pivac was very very well known at Scarlet's playing this very exciting brand of rugby um, but and you know where they'd you know play from almost everywhere. I think that lent that um, it was the 2017 uh, Pro Pro 14 final um, at the Aviva was very was one of those standout moments for them. When they absolutely just battered Leinster, and they could win while still playing this great brand of rugby. And it's going to be interesting to see how he goes about implementing a more um, whether he changes his style or whether he sort of brings these players going from playing what we could arguably call a very defensive brand of rugby with Gatland into this more attacking style. And I think it'll be interesting to see, whilst there is a few Scarlet's players who we would have known very well, it'll be interesting to see how these players react to going from a very defensive style of rugby to playing maybe more of an open style. And it'll be interesting to see if Pivat goes straight for, right, we're playing straight off the bat, this is how we're playing, you know, we're playing my way or whether he gradually brings it in and that sort of Gatlin style of play, um, quotation marks, um, whether that sort of sticks in for the first two, maybe two years of the tournament before he starts developing maybe some of the younger players. Yeah, I think I think actually it's going to be an interesting tournament for Wales because one of the themes I want to sort of come back to through the Six Nations preview was raised by um, uh, by a friend of mine, by, uh, by Zach Khan, who's contributed to the show before. And his question to me before this was, which side and sort of uh, focusing specifically on the coaches has got most to prove in this tournament this year, given the sort of the start of the World Cup cycle and everything. And I kind of reckon Pivac is probably one of those that doesn't have that much to prove at the moment. He's got a good reputation coming in. He knows that he's got a big job to fill, but I think almost the size of the job he's got to do slightly gives him a bit of a, a bit of a free hit this time out because I don't think anyone's expecting him to be. Gatland immediately. I mean, Gat- you, what you said about Gatland, Tom, slightly links into a conversation we were having off air before we started recording, actually, about Alex Ferguson and how, how he managed to win titles with some pretty average squads. And Gatland, you could argue, at times did did sort of the same thing. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how Pivac Club approaches this tournament in terms of, how, yeah, as as you said, Christoph, how he how slowly or quickly he changes around the style and the personnel to fit the way he wants to do things other point in terms of as we go through sort of looking at players to watch um, Tom Parks when pulled this out to me and I, I do agree with him I think it's a massive tournament especially with Navidi going down now it's a massive tournament for Aaron Wainwright because if he can step up and put in the kind of performances he was in the World Cup he could really cement a place in that very competitive Welsh back row mm. uh, and also given that he's been here for so long I think it's been massive for them having um, Talupe Falatau back playing as well because I think they really missed him at the World Cup yeah, I think in that South Africa semi-final, for instance, maybe you could argue that back row maybe was just losing a bit of weight. Um, I mean, South Africa dominated England too at a big pack, but you think a pit Falatau in that game would have made a real could have been a real difference maker. You saw that on the Lions tour. Someone that could have gone sort of toe to toe with someone like Dwayne Vermeulen and given mm. a bit of extra momentum. Mm. But yeah. obviously, yeah. first week it's going to be hard to glean too much about Wales because. Without being unkind, we're up against a sort of, a, an Italy side that are going to be 
it seems like we say this every two years now, but going to be going into transition again with Conor O'Shea having moved on. Um, but I, I've got to admit, I know this is slightly you know doing what we've done to France for ages. On paper, I like the team Italy have put together. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, no Sergio Parise, and that's something that we knew was coming eventually. But Bram Stain's now moved into the into the number eight shirt to fill that role. Um, Jake Pelledri is finally fit to play pretty on the flank and he's getting game time and I think that's going to be really important for them Matteo Minoxi back in at fullback and obviously last time he played in the Six Nations he was pretty much player of the tournament I think mm-hmm. he, I don't know he may have officially been but you know the back three of him uh, Leonardo Sato and Matteo Bellini is a good back three Tommaso Allen is leading a leading Treviso around the side around the park really well this year actually and yeah mm-hmm. that was for him but I think it's the consistency of selection that really drives me nuts with Italy. And is I, I number nine for me is a perfect example. It's nothing against Callum Braley, but considering how he played last year in the Six Nations, where's you know, where's Tito Tibaldi gone? What's he done to fall out of favour? And I, I think they just changed their scrum halves, especially around so often that you just I just see I struggle to see how they get consistency and I think it holds them back. Yeah. It's just yeah. I think it's sorry sorry Tom. It's, I think it's very important tournament for them and I think especially when Scotland play away um, at the Stadio Olimpico um, I think it's always a very important Six Nations for Italy um, and I thought you know last year they didn't have that bad a tournament they got tonked by England that was the one game you said was you know a proper whitewash um, and Scotland and they Scotland sort of put the game to bed uh, in their game sort of um, 50 minutes but the rest of the games against Wales, against Ireland especially, who they up against at half-time. And I honestly thought, watching that game, Italy were going to get a win out of the bag during that. You just want to see a development now. And if they can get their win against Scotland, which would be their first in, I think, possibly five years or so since they beat the Scots at Murrayfield. I might be wrong on that. I'm not 100% sure. But that would be a real big step forward for them, not just to be competitive in these games, but to actually get a big result, I think, maybe could... Especially without Parise for the first time in feels like eighty years, getting a win without him, I think would be a big thing for them. And if they can, they'll be all eyes will be on that uh, Scotland game. I think I'm not 100 percent sure when it is in the calendar, but all eyes will be on that. And if they can get start off with a half decent performance against Wales, I think um, they'll be happy. I think if this was if this was in Rome, you'd, Wales would be a bit more wary of it. Um, it's at the Principality and I expect Wales to win and win fairly handsomely but um, yeah like you say Jack the back three is very good with Minoxi, Sato and Bellini uh, I, I saw Tommaso Allen against uh, as a Saints fan against us a few weeks ago and he was excellent he, he kicked his goals well and he orchestrated play well uh, Brady's been a bit, bit bit part player so I agree with you on that one Tavaldi starting every week for Treviso why is he not ahead of Brady I, I don't know but Again, a, a, a solid back row as well with ne- Negri, Paledrian and Brown Stain. So it, they're a bit like sort of maybe not on the same level in terms of rugby ability and physicality. They're a bit like Fiji in terms of individuals are there, but it's piecing it all together into a cohesive unit, I suppose. That that's where they've always been lacking the last 10 years or so. Yeah. I think, I think it's just the problem I have with Italy is just as soon as every succession comes around, Half the players seem to be different to the year before, and it's yeah. I just don't feel you can ever get a read on them until we've actually seen them play. But and I, 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 what is consistent about Italy is you can never doubt their their heart and their enthusiasm. But it's 
it's you know finding the the necessary quality is maybe they don't invest in players long enough. I th- um, I I would possibly argue because I look at Tommaso Allen, he's kind of been backed for that ten shirt for longer than we've seen other half backs get chances for Italy, and he's sort of starting to find his groove. Uh, even for Italy, he started to put in better performances. He's starting to look more like that ten they need. So it'd be interesting to see, but I just think they're a side that we're going to struggle to get too much of a read on until we've actually seen them. Um, but I like I like what I've seen uh, in terms of their side on paper. So I, I wish them all the best. I really want them to come out with at least one result in this tournament because they need it. Um, speaking of sides that I think desperately need a result, let's look at Ireland. Because I think after the World Cup they've had, and with Farrell... Just coming in, I think he's the other side out of any this weekend that desperately need a result and a good one because they need to get this campaign off on the right track because otherwise Farrell's going to be under instant pressure and all those kind of nightmares from the World Cup are going to be coming up again. I don't know what you guys think. but I, 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 I wouldn't necessarily completely agree that he's gone on form, Farrell. Uh, I think Conor Murray is very lucky to be right ahead of John Cooney. In terms of form over yeah, last year, I'd agree with that. Uh, yeah, uh, Robbie Henshaw on the bench again. Was, I don't know. The back division is great. I mean, Jordan Lama, Conway, Ringrose, Stockdale. It's undeniably good. But the halfbacks, I know Johnny Sexton's had his injury issues. Um, obviously, Rory Best is going to be a big loss in terms of not just front mobility but leadership. But Rob Herring's been doing it for a, a while at Ulster, so. It's an exciting new era, but I think Farrell's made a few tweaks without necessarily overhauling everything. Um, Keelan Doris definitely deserves a start in the back row. He was excellent against us when they Leinster battered us in both games. So that back row of CJ Stander and Van der Fleer and Doris is uh, it's a pretty spicy one. So, yeah, I mean, it's Ireland will be one of the favourites going into this. And, um, yeah, it's... Like I said, Jack, they need a good start. They need a really good start. Otherwise, it could um, could get very tricky for them. Mm. I think looking at team, and I think there's definitely positive signs in there. I think that the big issue for Farrell going in, a bit like um, Pivac, he's going to have four, he's definitely going to have four years of the job as long as he sort of keeps up with results. Is how do you go about? Um, ch- bleeding through the next person he can take over from Sexton or can to an extent take over from Conor Murray who would be I think he's going to be 35 in the next 34 when it's the next tournament turns around so it, yeah it's a very interesting sort of start he's stuck with sort of a lot of the old guard I think it's 10 of the team that played in that New Zealand game he's um, gone with again um, but yeah it's a big tournament maybe I think a little bit like Pivak if results don't 100% go his way he will get time to iron it out. Um, it'll be interesting to see again with him whilst Pivak is a appointment coming from outside of the camp. Um, you know, Farrell's been part of the island setup for years now. So it'll be interesting to see, does he, you know, Schmidt, a bit like Gatlin, was a very controlled, um, he likes to put the shackles on the players. And it'll be interesting to see with Farrell whether he sticks with that same sort of philosophy because, you know, one thing, I'll bring back to Eddie Jones's book, one thing that struck me was just how influenced he was by, you know, um, talking to other coaches, whether that was Jake White in the 07 World Cup or whether that was coaches from his sort of grassroots level teams. It'll be interesting to see with Farrell, does he carve out his own way of playing or does he stick with that Joe Schmidt sort of very controlled box-kicking rugby? Um, 
And I think going against a team like Scotland, who are known for you know chucking around a bit, I think it'd be very interesting to see what um, happens. Yeah, I, I think what I will just say is that I that whole thing you said about him being you know having been part of Schmidt's stuff, that's why I think he's under more pressure than Pivac. He comes in with an established reputation at international level, and people will expect a lot from him. Uh, and plus, this is a side that's that you know, I think they are still slightly weighed down by what they achieved in 2018 with that amazing run beating the All Blacks and everything because it's a lot a lot of them are the same players and I think as long as that sort of core unit is together they're going to be slightly hamstrung by uh, by those results and by those performances but um, I think there are definitely encouraging signs in the squad that's being picked Jordan Lama's finally got the fullback shirt that I think he should have had 18 months ago um, because I think it was it came pretty clear during the World Cup that Rob Carney wasn't with wasn't up up to speed anymore. Uh, unfortunately, he's been a great servant, but he had to move on. I like Conway coming in on the wing as well. I know that sort of means they've dispensed with Keith Earls, who I've never been a great fan of, but he's certainly never he never let Schmidt down. Um, but I, I like seeing Conway in there. Um, I maybe would have liked to see Stuart McCluskey given a run because I don't think Bundyaki's been particularly outstanding but he's still been a good son. I, I don't know I agree with Ethan very much on, on John Cooney I, I struggle to see how he's not in the number 9 shirt but maybe it's one of those that he's that Farrell's starting out with the tried and tested formula and he's going to shake things up further down the track certainly on form you can't ignore Cooney but no, I, I think generally it's a Pretty well put together squad, but I think the question for Ireland is how it, with it being a lot of the same players who played in the World Cup, minus you know the captain Rory Best, how he coaxes better performances out of them than they found in the World Cup, and I think that's that's going to be his biggest challenge is kind of picking those players back up and getting them going again. So I think we'll see the uh, how far his famed motivational speeches really get him. I think the thing that's symbolic of that for me is Devon Turner and Peter O'Mahony still in around the squad. Obviously, they are fantastic players, but they are both the wrong side of 30. And it would have been easy for Farrell to say, you know what, let's bring the new breed through. Let's have Quinn Rue on the bench instead of Devon Turner. And, you know, let's have someone else on O'Mahony. But I guess for his first Six Nations, then he wants to have that experience, heads around and not shake things up too much. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But uh, I think the you know the, the, obviously the big one of the big things for Ireland to consider is that they are up against um, what is it unkind to slightly say it's a Scotland side in crisis mm-hmm. because there's certainly a lot going wrong for them. Obviously, they name a debutant number eight of their own with um uh, with what's his first name Nick Haining, uh, also you know debuting opposite Caelan Doris rest of it it's you know quite well established players really i suppose rory sutherland coming back in's news he hasn't played for about three years uh Fraser brown gets the start over Stuart mcanally at hooker given that mcanally was captain for the world cup that's a bit surprising to me but you know clearly something he's dropped down a pecky order slightly there back line is pretty much as we would have picked it although i think we were going to save this for huge scoops but let's just do it now without finn russell which obviously on the pitch, massive, massive loss for them. But given what is is um, is alleged has gone on in terms of him going out on the on the source and not turning up to training and classic and Tansy with Gregor, 
did Gregor Townsend really have any choice but to send him out of the squad? Because I can't particularly see that he did. No, he had, he had no other choice. It would have been easier for him to buckle and say, you know what, you're on the source. It, if the allegations are true, he was on the source the night before training, which as a professional in any sport is pretty poor. And then also didn't um, turn to up And didn't turn up. Yeah, that's pretty inexcusable for my book. No matter if you're the best player or, you know, one of the reserve uh, squad members. Yeah. Um, on a specific playing side of it, it leaves it with a massive pole, not only in terms of Russell himself, but Hastings comes in, who is a very, very talented player. But beyond that, we we spoke about it off air. You're looking at Rory Hutchinson to possibly cover number 10 in a Six Nations game, who's got a handful of caps, which is a lot of pressure on a guy who's barely played there for Saints. So it, it's tricky for Scotland, and they need to wrap Hastings up in cotton wool in order to get through the tournament and play probably 80 minutes every game. Um, but apart from that, like you said, Jack, backline's very, very, very good. Sean Maitland, Hugh Jones, Sam Johnson. Um, the back row looks a bit lightweight for me. Um, although Richie and Watson are good scavengers, I'm not seeing much of Hayden, but I think maybe lack a bit of grunt. Yeah, maybe a bit of grunt, but I think they've, you know, he's picked a very technically good flanker pairing. But yeah, maybe yeah. the issue, especially up against players like CJ Stander, maybe that lack of size might work against them because it's not as though that, Johnny Gray is not the bulkiest bloke either. No, and that Irish pack will look to dominate you up front. It'll look to overpower you at scrum time and down, as they've done under Schmidt and Farrell. So I'd be wary about that for Scotland, but it's the hand uh, Townsend and Dell, I'm afraid. It's, it, these are the options he's got, I suppose. Um, but, you know, all hope is not lost. They've got some exciting back, back talent. And if they can get good ball for their outside backs, they will score tries in that team, undoubtedly. It's just whether they can get it. Because, you know, as we all know, from the old adage, uh, forwards decide who wins games and the backs decide by how many. So it's, it's just true. To, just to slightly sort of guide this to uh, in terms of the way you come in here, Christoph. What constitutes a successful Six Nations for Scotland this year? Is it about results? Is it about performances? Is it about where they finish in the table? I mean, what kind of, what in your mind is is progress for them? Um, I don't know. I think just being more competitive. I think if you look at that um, uh, World Cup game, the World Cup campaign, sorry, the World Cup campaign, not just the game I had, just getting absolutely blown out of the water by Ireland, which we, no one went to have a very average tournament after that game. Um, being in that first half, just completely outclassed by Japan, it looked like they were just playing rugby on a different level that Scotland can even dream of playing. I think, for me, I think, the, I think if it, even if it's a bad, if they got two wins, I think Gregor Townsend would be all right. Um if they won uh, Italy away and then, um, oh God, was that the home game? I think they'll lose the home. I don't, I don't think they'll mind if they lose that home game against England. Um, but if they can beat France and Italy, I think they'll probably take that. Guessing, I mean, who knows with the Finn Russell situation, whether Gregor Townsend said he's welcome to come back into the squad. Is there a bit of bad blood between those two? There's a bit of rumour we've seen recently after that halftime of the England game. Finn Russell apparently had a go at the sort of the style they were playing, not expansive enough for him, and and that brings into question the 
player coach dynamic and losing the change room and all those cliches. Um, I think if you, I think I think for me, two wins is a minimum, and then if you've got to see an improvement in these type of games like Ireland away, England at home, they're playing Wales away this uh, this time in this tournament. Can they show an improvement? And Gregor Townsend needs to show an improvement because if they have an absolute stinker and, you know, God forbid, well not God, yeah, God forbid they lose all their games and somehow lose against Italy, he would be under some seriously big pressure. So for me, I think two wins minimum is the average for Scotland. Anything above that, I think Gregor Townsend would be exceeding expectations. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's perfectly fair. I think I, I, it's hard to know. I think they certainly need to. Be aiming to win, to they want to they'll want to win away in Italy, and they'll probably want to win at least one of their home games. I know mm-hmm. they haven't got the easiest home games, but they'll want to win one of them. So, you know, it, it becomes quite an interesting tournament for them at that point, and we'll we'll come on to to our actual predictions for the games a bit later. But yeah, I think that's going to be a really interesting game to see how both sides approach it. And coming on to the the third game, Le Crunch. Uh, in as as Christoph so rightly pointed out earlier, uh, the Stade de France, and this is I'm going to do my broken record moment. I say it every year, but I just I look at this France side on paper and I really like it because there's there is a lot to like. I mean, that back line. He's being terrible. suckered in. He's being suckered in yet I again. Completely from nine back. Nine. The back hopeless back romantic. Allez le bleu. Allez le bleu. Le bleu. Um, but yeah, just look at that side from nine to fifteen. Just looks disgustingly good. Although how Vansal Rates hasn't made the fifteen shirt without Thomas Ramos there, I don't know. But it, with that side, so, I I, mean, I haven't seen too much of a, a Boutier, but every everyone else in that background, I look at and just go, that is a side set up to do a lot of damage. It's it, it's also the back replacements as well. We've got Baptiste Saran, Jalibert, and Rates on the bench to come on. Um, that back division is is scary on form as well, but I would worry about them back row. Uh, Audrey, Olivon, and Kroos. I mean, I think if it goes to plan, Underhill and Curry would fancy their chances against those three. Um, and Corks as well, we'll get into that. <laughs> um, and also up front, Cyril Bay and uh, Hawass. How is that you say it? Hawass is on mm-hmm. debut. Um, they could have a tough time at set piece time, but Fabian Galtier has not been afraid to, as I said at the start, this is a very open Six Nations in terms of not only personnel, but in coaches. Um, Galtier has taken a bit of a risk. He's completely overhauled it, I would say. A lot of these aging members, there's no sort of Medar or Uge. Um So, yeah, it's, it's a new dawn for them as well. And um, Le Crunch at Stade Francais is a... Yeah, well, it's a mouth-watering start, to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, uh, this is probably the most exciting, as Joel Jack's alluded to, and even if I've taken the mic off slightly, I think you've, there's plenty of reasons as a French um, fan, especially after a decade of without the Six Nations, uh, or, or nearly a decade without the Six Nations Championship victory, which is you know a bit too long for a, a nation of the. Uh, a nation of their caliber. You'd be very excited by this team. Um, I'm really excited to see what Vakatawa does. Um, I think he absolutely could be a player of the tournament candidate. Um, I think France, um, 
put my cards on the table. I think they'll get a second place. I think they have a really good chance of beating England at home. Um, so I'm not going all. I'm not going all in, but I'm going in. And I mean, they could get second with only three wins, such as the way this tournament might work out. But you look at that team. Excite, really exciting. Um, you've got. I mean, you've got Damien Pinot, who's been in that team for a little while. Untermat, young player of the year. Dupont has come into his own now. Um, Cross has been very good for Toulon in a team that, you know, has been so heavily reliant on imports. He's sort of been one of those players who's actually come through. And then you've got, um, obviously, with this French team, they've won the last two under-20s um, World Championships, which is really, really exciting for them. And you see a little bit of that. You've got uh, Jalibert who's very highly rated on the bench. You've got Waki on the bench as well. I think it was the captain for the under-20s team, David Bordeaux-Begler. I don't know. But it looks. this looks for me, and I, this is sort of a theme I've come back to, this is, I think, for France, especially with the home world, their home World Cup coming up in four years' time, it's going to be so important for them to get these work, proper class players in. It seems like they're actually making a good coaching appointments we've obviously Sean Edwards uh, um, as a defence coach I think took off took all the headlines but I think um, Gautier as well seems to actually know like a, a coach who knows what he's doing he's taken I think it's three separate French teams to um, pro for, to top 14 finals it seems like they're not and he's although he's a bit of a character it seems like a bit of substance behind it which sort of is a bit in sharp contrast to the last 10 years of French coaches all seem to be no bluster and flair, but no substance behind it. So I think this is a France team that's very exciting. If they beat England on Sunday, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I really wouldn't. No, it's, it's interesting. I was going to say, it's interesting you mentioned Walkie because you are right. He was, he was captain of the side that won not only last year's under-20 World Championships, but the 2018 Championships. So they have some serious talent coming through at France. And uh, Walkie and Jalabert and the likes are uh, symptomatic of that. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I was going to bring it up if you hadn't already, but um, Sean Edwards, it's going to be interesting to see how much of an impact he's, he has on this side. Because what France's problem has always been is discipline. It, uh, well, obviously, defence has been a problem for them, but also just discipline generally. And I'm interested to see how much of an impact he's had in terms of actually getting this side focused and getting them to stick to the basics because um, if he gets them going the way that he did Wales when he was defence coach there it could be really really intriguing for them um, I just think what I like is that Gautier seems to have very much cleared the dead wood out I know Valmahina kind of you know retired very Valmahina but, um, <laughs> but you know guys like oh, my, uh, Let's be guys like Johan Uge have just disappeared because he's very and obviously very different looking kind of back five in the um in the forwards. So he's very much looked at it and gone, I'm gonna pick the players that I want, not the guys that are sort of in possession of the shirts. So and I think that's got that can only be an encouraging thing because sticking with the same old hands hadn't really worked for them. But I think the biggest thing that they've got to contend with, France, is the fact that they are playing against a World Cup what we must not forget is a World Cup final team. With a few odds and end changes I know George Furbank is obviously a great source of excitement for, for one member of this pod. Uh, but I, I'm actually excited as well because I really like George Furbank. Um, <laughs> stop your wing commander Furbank. <laughs> as Ms. Dyke, he does have a yeah, very striking moustache, I have to say. Especially with the mo. 
bit of an RAF captain. But um, I think it's interesting, especially with sort of France and the talent they've got out wide, that I can understand why um, he's gone for Furbank, Eddie Jones, at fullback. Because, yeah, I, I've made no secret on this part that I don't think Elliot Daly's a reliable fullback. And I think clearly with the amount of attacking talent France have got, he's going to want someone that bit more reliable as your last line of defence. So I think that's behind the reason of why Furbank's been picked. Um, everything else I think is fairly cut and dry, with the exception of Charlie Yule's possibly being mm. a point of controversy. But I, there, I would say what you guys think. The only reason I can see for that would be that you know the rumours with Cruz going off at the end of the year to Japan. He's taking the opportunity to get get his replacement in early, but apart from that, I'd say it's been it's fairly sort of cut and dry for Eddie Jones. I don't know. I think. think but... Oh, sorry, Jack. Uh, I think maybe with uh, sort of linked into that, I think Law's going to six uh, probably is is the big surprise about that. Which me personally, I'm not a massive fan of that, and I think maybe looking at that pack. I think they're maybe lacking a little bit of the ball carrying. Um, once that back row we had in the World Cup of Funapola, Curry, Underhill, there was so much, it was almost perfectly balanced. And the only time they ever got um, sort of shown up a bit was that, was that World Cup final. But I mean, that South Africa back line will go down. History is one of the best in rugby, I think. So there's no sort of mean feat in Underhill and Curry in the early 20s. Um, I was, yeah, Jones did this a bit with. I think it was a Toje's paid six a couple of times. I think Laws has gone to six a couple of times. I think it'll be enough to get them past um, France on the weekend. But I think you've got to start looking, especially with Billy Vunapelo breaking, I think it's breaking his forearm for a third occasion. You've got to start thinking, right, could he make, if he there's a very conceivable uh, future when Vunapelo isn't available for that, rugby, that World Cup in 2023, you have to start looking at guys like Ben Earl. And if Ben Earl's not the option and maybe a bit too small, you've got to look at people like Sam Simmons or Alex Dombrant. And it's interesting to see whilst Ireland and Scotland have got all in with a, a debutant as um, a number eight. And in the case of Ireland, you know, shifting CJ Standard to accommodate that new player in there who's, you know, played former over 50 caps for, for Ireland. It seems maybe Jones, whilst he has put out a big bold statement of Furbank at 15, maybe at the same time as playing it a tad conservative and putting Laws at six and Curry at eight. Again, I think it's Underhill Curry are so good and they've, their carrying is good enough that I think it'll get us past France. But I think long term, I don't think um, that's the option going forward in terms of being as Jones has wanted the team to be the greatest team ever. So, um, it'll, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting, interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, I think we can all agree that Curry is not an eight. He's not a classical eight. I'm surprised at all. that Curry's the guy's been named at eight. I really am. I, I, I am. Underhill would go in there. I know Pocock sort of played there for Australia, and again, he's a very a similar player in terms of a tackle jackler. But it was more laws at six that surprised me than anything else. He could have easily shifted laws into second row, dropped yours, and put Ludlam in. But you're, yeah. you're losing a lot of talk there. Um, but Furbank at 15, I think he's deserved it on form. Uh, he's, I'm going to stick my neck out. Hopefully it won't go wrong in Paris, but he's a lot more safer under the high ball than Daly. He's positionally, I think, a little bit better. Um, he 
He reminds me of Foden, the way he sort of runs with the ball at times, but he's more of a playmaker at 15. <laughs> Before he started doing pop idol, whatever it was. Um, he's, X, factor, he, he, X Factor celebrity. Yeah, he's more of a playmaker than an outright celebrity. running 15. So, yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to see how it goes. There's not too much overhaul. Um, one of the big omissions for me is no Mako at all in the you know the 23 which is uh, uh, I heard there was an injury is there an injury I heard there was an injury and Eddie I Jones I think has been quoted as quoted as saying he's being rested and he's expected to be available for the Scotland game next week so maybe it's a precaution type thing and I mean I, I remember I remember that six the Six Nations last year where he was completely on fire in the Ireland game and the France game and he got injured in that France game and when he left from that England looked considerably more shaky Mm. Losing that massive lead against uh, Scotland, losing against Wales in the Millennium, where maybe Mako's experience could have helped them. So yeah, that'll be a bit of a, that'll be a big loss as well. Obviously, Marlowe's experience in his own right, of course. Well, it's not as yeah, it's yeah. Not exactly a position England are short on depth in, is it? Mm. So I think you can you can get away with that one. But I think I think Manu is um, not 100 fit either, and hasn't been for Tigers this season. So that'd be interesting to see how that goes, but. I guess that's why Joseph and Devoter are on the bench to cover those positions, yeah. outside positions. So, yeah, it's um, it's an interesting team, definitely, but not completely a complete overhaul, you know, from the World Cup final team and the World Cup squad. Yeah, no, I think it's yeah, it's that sign that Eddie knows that he's going to slowly start making changes. And I think yeah, there are certainly players in that side that won't make it to the next World Cup. You look at your likes of Joe Marler, um, you know. They Ben Youngs probably won't make it. You know, he's good. I think he's very much going to approach it with a bit of a. I've got four years. Yeah, you know, or this side has got four years, if you will. So he may as well take his. Courtney time. may not as well. Was that? Courtney may not as well. I think yeah, he's thirty now. I was always wondering, but you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they get away. I wouldn't. I certainly don't expect much different from England. In terms of the way they approach and the way they play, I think Jones is going to stay fairly consistent to what got them to a World Cup final, and you can't really argue with that. So, yeah, I think it's going to be all round going to be a pretty fascinating tournament, this one. Um, sticking with part one, we're going to try and do this rather quickly. Um, basically, well, the only game we really need to talk about is Northampton Saints because Tom wants to have a match. But um, basically just to sort of run you down on the Premiership at the moment. We're going to come to the whole Saracens thing in part two, so we won't go into that now, but putting them to one side, Leicester Tigers, five points adrift at the bottom, uh, Chiefs top, one point uh, above Northampton Saints, and then Sale and Gloucester rounding out the top three. As says, who Sale, I would actually say, have slightly sneaked into the top four. I didn't really notice them come up from a sort of mid-table in the last few weeks, but they seem to have sort of snuck into the top four. Bristol, unfortunately, after a, a fantastic start, have now lost four of their last five or something now. Or certainly haven't won four of their last five. So they're on a bit of a slippery slope. Well, we can. Them. Oh, they did, didn't they? Um, <laughs> and Quinns, they're rounding out the top six, one point above Bath. I think what we can see is it's becoming quite congested again in the middle of that, sort of middle to bottom of that team. Mm, very similar to last year. Yeah, and I certainly would say that the competition for the Champions Cup spots is going to be as as brutal as it ever has been. Um, 
But yeah, we did want to talk briefly about the weekend's games. So we may just want to talk about the Northampton Saints game because there was um, let's, enough controversy for a whole weekend, I think, on that one. Look at him frothing at the mouth already. Claiming a, <laughs> claiming a, let's say, unfancied win at Franklin's Gardens by 20 points to 16. There were cards aplenty. And to be honest, we'll just give it sort of a few minutes. I'm just going to hand it over to Tom, who was sat up in his chair and started stretching uh, as I as I introduced this game. He, let me, let me stretch. So let's, uh, let's let him have it on the, uh, the, the controversial decisions. Well... Uh, Irish were well deserving of the 2016 ring win, don't get me wrong. Um, first half Tory, I thought a really reckless tackle by Ben Meehan only get a yellow. Um, it could have been red, off the ball, lay spear tackle basically. Happy Rutinio gets sent off for uh, the softest clear out you'll see, but his shoulder does make contact to the neck head area. So it's immediately a red card no matter what you've done beforehand. So. Even if it's the softest clear out in the world, it's similar to red, which I don't get. But, you know, that's, that's by the by. Uh, a brilliant try-saving tackle by Cobus, though. He, we will miss him a lot. He's announced he's leaving in the season. Um, I think Six Nations calls will affect our form going forward. And it, I think it did in this game. We lost, we're losing about seven or eight players to Six Nations calls. So. But, yeah, it's disappointing, but I'd still back us to bounce back in the... Um, if we don't get top four, I'd be very, very surprised, let alone top two. No, I think that's entirely fair. I think Saints, sort of with Sale and Bristol, are the ones who have definitely been the big improvers this year. Um, and I would expect them to certainly be continuing to be competitive for the top four all the way through to the end of the season. Bristol, as we said, they've sort of gone on a, they went on a bit of a bad run. They managed to eke out a win over Gloucester, who are not in a great run of form of their own, I think it's fair to say. Um, but Gloucester is still hanging into the top four as well. I think they're a side that, again, I don't have any real concerns about them long term. I think they'll. Uh, Danny Cipriani obviously has picked up a, a medium term injury, which is not going to help them. But yeah, I think I think it's just a sign for me of how weird this this season can get in the fact that Bath have actually won more games this season than Gloucester, Bristol, and Quinns. And yet, our seventh, whereas those teams are all above them. I find that very bizarre. Yeah. It was a very ground out win from Bath. Yeah. Bath, I, this is Bath. I'm confused one. by Bath because they are a very good They are a very good side when they want to be. They're a very good side at home, particularly. But they just see on the, on the road, they just seem to go to bits and they can't stretch. They can't, I don't think they can put together those runs of results. That you need to get into the into the top top levels of the of the Premiership in terms of top four, which is I think slightly going to be their undoing. But I, I like Stuart Hooper. We're going to briefly mention we were going to talk about Hugh Scoots, but I'll rather in here that there's rumours that Joe Schmidt might be looking to take up a role with Bath going forward. I I would be certainly intrigued if they took that option up. Um, I don't know if they sort of said. That he would be is it suggested he'd be coming in as as director of rugby or I think yeah if not to replace Hooper or go above him but yeah there are rumours I wouldn't mind you know Hooper staying as head coach and Schmidt being DOR for them I really wouldn't mind that uh, and it would be a great um, I think I think that'd be a great move for them he's a great coach 
but yeah, they need to find consi- they need to find consistency. But so do so many other teams. It's just kind of bonkers. Mm. I think that's kind of what makes this making this league quite fun now is just that no one's I'd say there are very few sort of guaranteed winners anywhere Uh, this might sort of link to the discussion we might have later but I think with relegation off the table for the rest of the team all the teams in the the league now maybe they can play with a little bit more of reckless abandon and they can sort of go for it a bit more and not be so worried you know if we get Tonked a bit. It's not the end of the world. We've got next week. We're not looking. You know, we don't have to look downwards. So it could be the makings of a very special Premiership. And I remember us always talking about the Premiership last year, and again went down right to the wire. As you've, if you scroll through the Twitter, <laughs> scroll through our Twitter to May last year, um, you'll 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 realise um, my reaction to James Lang just missing it. Um, uh, but yeah. Jack's putting the face I did. And um but yeah, it should be very exciting and hopefully it makes for a very entertaining tournament with everyone not having that shackles of relegation sort of weighed down on them and they can sort of go for it a bit more. Yeah, I think that's a perfectly fair call. We won't go into we'll go into that a little bit more in in part two, but yeah, I think it's I, I still don't know if I'm quite used to seeing Wasps and Leicester so far down the tree in terms of in terms of the Premiership, but you look at both sides, I don't think you can really make a case for either of them being any higher than they are, considering the level that the other teams are starting to play at now. It's kind of astonishing. I mean, another one, another sort of coaching move that's being being mooted is Rob Howley, uh, the disgraced Rob Howley, on his way back to Wasp for his own, you know, He's had success in the past. I still wonder, you know, talking about Die Young bringing in more staff, Robbie Six Fingers. Whether Die Young should be. Good Lord. Is a Snaps reference, Jack? God. Robbie Five Fingers. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, continue. Um, The character likes to gamble. That's what I'm saying. Continue. um, The the whole time. Um, But yeah, I'm speaking in terms of um, bringing his own staff in. I just wonder how how far uh, Dai Young's got the, the remit to do that, considering he's pretty much only hanging on to his own job through through kind of stored credit at the moment. Well, mostly the way away from home at Warriors the weekend, 3026. Um, they look so reliant on Gopeth, and he's 36, 37 years old. I mean, how long is that going to last? Um, but yeah, you are right, Jack. I, you wonder whether it's just a case of off saying like you know what it's getting worse under die young so we look at you know changing the head coach completely not necessarily bringing rob howley to assist him so you know but you know won the last game so and there's no threat of relegation so they can build the go again if they want to yeah i think they i i would like to see them do it to honest, i think die young's possibly overstayed a little bit now it slightly seems to be getting away from him, which is a shame because I like Wasps. I mean, I know they've made some questionable decisions in terms of location and finances and all that, but uh, I, I don't, I don't dislike them as a club. Same can't be said for Leicester Tigers. And actually, quite, I don't mind seeing them struggle, but yeah, I think the question of of Leicester Tigers is one that's going to keep being answered until keep kind of sorry going unanswered until they get 
until they get relegated, which all things considered is something that they should be probably devoutly thankful is not going to happen this year. Mm. But there you go. Um, but, uh, I think that sort of covers the Premiership stuff. And quickly, just before we finish up part one, quick, go on. Quick, quick shout out, sorry, to Marcus Smith in the Harlequins mm-hmm. battering of Saracens. He was phenomenal. Man of the match yeah, performance, he was brilliant. Yeah, I think that game was always going to be a bit uh, tainted, Raw. given everything yeah. given, given everything that's gone before. But Quinn still had to turn up and dominate the game, and they did that very well. So I certainly certainly can't argue with that. Alex Dombrant with another star performance. Uh, as well as Marcus Smith. Uh, but for sadly, there will be no further European adventures for Harlequins, but there will be for Saracens um, after they manage to scrape through. We're just going to quickly run down what we've got in terms of the Champions and Challenge Cup quarterfinals. Obviously, standout tie for for the Europe, for the Champions Cup quarterfinals is Leinster against Saracens at the Aviva, which, you know, considering where we are at the moment, I probably would expect Leinster to go and win that with Saracens kind of slightly... Surely, struggling. yeah, surely. And Leinster being at home and the way they're playing. Uh, extra Chiefs against Northampton Saints at Sandy Park which you know, I'm, I'm actually nervous about, I'll confess, because um, Saints are one of those teams that I think if they turn up, they'll beat anyone. So, Otherwise known as the Scrums and Scrumpy Derby, yeah, as they know it down there. Local bragging rights at Stenton. <laughs> um, no, that, that should be a really good game. Claremont against Racing is another mm, uh, that'd be good. hard to call. Uh, and Toulouse host Ulster, which... Toulouse should win, but I've I've really enjoyed what I'd like to just flag. I've really enjoyed watching Ulster in this Champions Cup group phase, and they've been really impressive. We've spoken about John Cooney already, uh, and quick run through the Challenge Cup. We've got Bordeaux Begler against Edinburgh, which probably stands out as the the big game for me out of those out of these four. Toulon against Scarlets, which seems fairly cut and dry to me, considering Toulon are very much turning things around. This season, they're back up the top of the top 14. They qualified first seeds out of the Challenge Cup. Leicester Tigers against Castro, which I think I smell another Tigers defeat there, if I'm honest. <laughs> because they, they had a pretty pretty naff pool, if I'm honest. And they just they managed to get through as fourth seeds, so they were still the um, lowest performing of the group winners. So, you know, I don't know what that tells you. Uh, but then... And we've also got Bristol Bears, who I think are going to make a real play for this for this tournament this year to win the Challenge Cup uh, against Newport Gwent Dragons. Bloody hell. The resurgent dragons. Who'd have thought it? The dragons not slayed. Um, right, that wraps up part one. We will take a very quick break to collect ourselves and then we will be back into part two for plenty of huge scoops. See you in a moment. to part two and we've got plenty to get through so we're not gonna we're not gonna hang about i can see i can see him getting ready and let you have it christoph 
Huge scoops! So I've woken, woken up everyone in the house. Anyway. Um, yeah, he, yeah, he, 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 he did, did restrain himself a little bit there, which is entirely fair. He lives yeah. in a very respectable suburban building. If it's two hours, if it's two hours beforehand, I'd be screaming the house down, but it's huge scoops! Fair enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there's only one place to start, really. I know that a lot of the conjecture's already been and gone, but we're going to look at it anyway. Uh, Saracens. Obviously now officially confirmed they've been given the extra uh, 70 point deduction and comprehensively relegated from the Premiership and will play in the Championship next year. I think, yeah, we don't want to sort of revisit everything that's already kind of been done about it, but I think I'm just going to go there and say that Prem Rugby were left kind of without a choice given everything that we sort of understand has gone on. And I think it's the statement that needed to be made to make sure that people actually are going to take the salary cap seriously from this point onwards. All right. <laughs> Good job there. <laughs> Glass. No. Good game, yeah, team. <laughs> The only thing I, w- I would sort of question is why didn't they just relegate him straight from the outset and not do this 30-point, you know, fine as well. Um, I've read the report into it. Apparently, they discussed relegation immediately, but a few of the higher-ups in Premiership Rugby were like, no, we shouldn't relegate. You know, the Saracens provide a lot of England players, they do this, blah, blah, blah. But it's this issue of them not opening up their books. It's them not cooperating with the investigation that's... Forced Premiership Rugby to say, you know what, we'll have to relegate you, sort of thing, um, which is fair enough in my view. Um, but there's also, interestingly enough, there's also a ruling in the Championship that shows you have to be under the salary cap in the Championship to get promoted to the Premiership anyway. So not only will they be relegated, but there's a, conceivably Saracens could have to prove they're still under the salary cap even if they do win the league, which they expect them to do. So. Yeah, it's a shame because it's not only, well, it's it's ruined the their prestige and the most successful club team of all time, arguably in England. But it's also ruined a, a season where there's no relegation. You know, we talked about Tigers not having to worry, Worcester's not having to worry, Wasps not having to worry, and it's just you can basically disregard the bottom of the table now. It's all about the top four. So yeah, it's it's. I'm glad the Premiership Rugby have been strong in this, but it's just made the season a bit of a debacle for me, to be honest. Never thought I'd see you yeah. defending Saracens. Yeah, I, I can only concur, really. I mean, the whole thing has come to a rather car crash end, and I think it was almost as soon as the World Cup finished, there was all the talk about it. And yeah, I mean, it's just... It, it's it's such a it's just been such a massive story. I mean, there's so many facets to it, and you've got the club itself and the wrongdoing that's been going on, which is obviously the sort of the main crux of it, and why they decided to take relegation. Is there something more to it that we don't know about? Um, I think from a Saracen perspective, you're looking long term. You could say, well, when okay, this is not going to be great for us in the short term, but in two years' time, we'd be competing again for a Premiership title, um, and maybe that's definitely the reason why they decided to take relegation as opposed to maybe opening their books and getting something which could, who knows, see them, um, you know, struggle for a few years. Um, 
yeah, it's, and then you've got the England perspective. You've got you got the facts. I've just got the table up. You got the fact now that one of um, oh hang on, I've lost it now. Classic me. Um, you've got one of like Richmond um, Rams or Roslyn Park are going to be playing Saracens next season um, in the Championship, which is just an absolutely ridiculous. Which is an absolutely ridiculous concept. Um, I know Richmond. Uh, ironically, a lot of people have been saying ironically with Richmond, one of those player teams who, you know, spent a lot of money in the professional area and sort of find themselves in the place they, you know, traditional heavyweight and find themselves in the place they do because of that overspending. Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just an absolute bombshell. And who knows? I think it could really change the way professional rugby. It could change the face of professional rugby itself, and it could be. It could be the seismic moment where everything changes and, you know, we'll be feeling the effects of this for possibly, you know, four, five, six, six years or even a decade. Um, it's that bigger story. And, um, yeah, it's, it just seems like a very rightful punishment that the premiership have given in the circumstances that they didn't want to open their books. Go on, Tom. I was going to say, like... Um... Do you think going forward we should have a Premier League football style richest teams most successful or do you think it could be a case of because I'm not casting aspersions here but there's a lot of other clubs that could be brought into this it could it be a case of clubs two or three clubs having points deductions a season for not adhering to the cap I mean where do where I guess for you two where where do we draw the line what what needs to change going forward that premiership thing you're talking about doesn't sit for me doesn't sit sit well because I mean look at football and it's the richest clubs are as we've seen famously with Liverpool at the moment who are just basically throwing their times at the pram because they have to play a League One side at home in the FA Cup um, and it just shows sort of the dis- I mean nothing against Liverpool personally but it just shows the disdain these um, City have talked about it all the big clubs have talked about it the disdain for these lesser competitions that, you know, smaller teams really do care about because they're such a big moneymaker for them. And I think if rugby went the same way, I'd, I'd really think we'd have those similar issues where there would just be this massive gulf between the rich and the poorest clubs. And I think the way it is now, that salary cap, that's the best way to keep a bit of parity in a competition, the Premiership, that over the past decade has been dominated by, what, one or Two, two teams essentially, Etta Tigers in the first five years, and Saracen since then. So um, yeah, I think I, I definitely wouldn't go to that view. I'm not sure what your point of view is, Jack. No, I think I think I'd agree. Although, just just to throw in a point that you made about Liverpool, they didn't want the replay. You shouldn't have treated a League One side with absolute giggling contempt. But mm. you know, not my not the point. Um, now I, <clears throat> I I've generally agreed. I think the salary cap's a good thing. And I think it need, but I think the point is now that it's slightly at a crossroads in the sense that if they are going to continue to have it, they've got to hold up what they've done to Saracens and go, look, this is what happens. There is an absolute no zero tolerance policy now. If you're one pound over it, you're getting what they got. Yeah, and I think they've got to stick to that. Because I think well, the point was that thing. Saracens got given the initial thirty-five point deduction, and then the only reason they were then given the automatic relegation and further punishment was because they were given a deadline after the initial one, to say you've got to not, if not be cap compliant, you've got to have shown you've made reasonable strides so that by the end of the season you will be cap compliant. 
and they didn't do it. Simply, we could talk about we could talk about it now, but what I'm saying is, I'm not again. I'm not sort of throwing mud here, but what would happen if two or three teams are over the cap, which could feasibly happen? What happens then? Do you relegate all three teams and bring up? Like Richmond and Rosalind Park and whatever. I think you, I think you've got to give them the same treatment you got gave Saracens, which is that you take the initial points deductions and you give them a shot to say, look, okay, you've got it now, fix it. And I think after what's now happened to Saracens with them having not fixed it, odds are good most sides would, if in putting that position, I think would fix it. Mm. I can't be certain yeah. on that, but I, I, I don't know. I think I think they've set their line in the sand and they've just got to stick to it now. And I think that is a line that they it's it's a line that's very firmly and some you know, some probably with good reason say harshly harshly drawn, but I think it's got to be because I think it's one of those things that everyone kinda of goes, Oh, it's the first time we've seen anything like this and I kinda of go, Oh yeah, that doesn't mean it's gonna be the last. Mm. So you've got to put your line in the sand as soon as these things come up, otherwise it just develops into a into a problem. In a in a weird microcosmic way, right? It's a bit like What's happened with the the te- that the technically is still a rule about not feeding at the scrum anymore? Like, yeah, that, a few people sort of bent it, they got away with it, and now everyone just does it. And there's and the refs seem to have absolutely no way of getting control back anymore. And I think it, it, it's a situation that could become a bit like that if if Premiership Rugby don't go. Look, this is our line in the sand. You cross it, you're gone. And I think that's it's harsh, but I think that's the way it's got to be. But anyway, um, we'll leave that for. I'm sure in pods to come we will have more discussions about this as more as more kind of details of how Saracens are going to approach this unfold. But we'll um, we'll leave it for now. What we do know is there's going to be players leaving the club, and to move through the raft of signings, first one we start off with uh, Matt Gallagher. He's looked set to go to Munster, which I think is a good signing for them. He's a good player, Matt Gallagher. I think obviously we were talking before we came on the pod about the fact that they're potentially picking up. Uh, Damien Dialendi as well so those are two really good signings for Munster who I think it's fair to say need a bit of a possibly in need of a little bit of a rebuild to try and catch catch up Leinster who are very dominant in the Irish game at the moment other big signings one of our personal pod favourites Tehima uh, Tashima the Japanese winger is joining Claremont which I think is with Rugby Pass have kind of alluded to this but it's I think it really is a big statement for Japanese rugby to definitely is. to join a team like Claremont that are challenging for domestic and European trophies and getting him in there I think is it's like after the last World Cup when um uh, uh Maru, thank you. Sorry, I completely escaped me mm. for a minute. Uh went to the Queensland Reds, although hopefully works out better than that did. But mm. it's those kind of statement signings that you need these um these teams to be making to to bring these other other nations into the sort into the limelight a little bit more and Matsushima is obviously a as long big as, as long as it doesn't affect sort of the Japanese national team, I think it's great. You know, definitely they should go and play abroad. Why not? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um that, I mean we kind of covered it already. I just um uh, other signings, uh Carl Sinclair uh joining Bristol next year. I mean slightly uh not fortuitous but um Interesting. We've brought it up not so long after discussing salary cap conditions. I know everyone's everyone. As soon as that signing was announced, after them having uh, announced Semi Rodrada a couple of um, couple of uh, weeks ago, slightly went okay. 
especially you consider you've got guys like Charles Piertau still on the books as mm-hmm. well, and I presume is going to stay on their books. So, mm-hmm. I will add in, in their defence, if they are getting rid of Ian Madigan, which I assume they will be, that is at least 500k off the books. That is, that's a fair point. That being said, you've still got Vidrado and everything like that, and maybe there is going to be a bit of, I think, naturally, and I think justifiably, it's going to be a bit of suspicion. Um, as for the deal itself, I think it's going to be the case you're going to see of a lot of teams in terms of they're going to have to start giving up these big players. And even though we've developed Carl Sinclair from this very raw prospect into one of the best tight heads in world rugby, um, we have to let him go. Um, it's, just, it's just as simple as that. And I think this is the point as well that we've discussed about mm. with all the salary cap stuff before, which is that obeying the salary cap means having to make difficult decisions over your players and mm. any team that essentially bypasses that and doesn't have to make those tough decisions is is flouting a key part of the whole art of squad management. Hopefully it means we start bringing in a few other members from further afield, and especially I think with, with Quinns, maybe our second row needs a bit of bulking up. Centres at the moment, we're, I mean, this, there won't be an immediate prospect, but centre-wise we're getting Esther Hayes in, we'll have March in fact. So hopefully it gives us a bit of room to sort of spend elsewhere, and obviously the Christoph, tributes Christoph, will come Christoph, in. Christoph, he, March is not coming. <laughs> oh, the tributes will come later, but um, I mean, he's been absolutely. He's left. Yeah. <laughs> he's he has been absolutely fantastic. It's all right. Um, it's all right. And he he was a bastard anyway. We didn't like him. <laughs> um, he will leave. I think with everyone's best wishes because he's been. He has even though at the tender age of twenty four, he has already been such a servant for the club and. You know, it's very proud to see him trot out for, Eng- for um, England while being Quinn's fans. Uh, Quinn's fans. So, yeah, he goes with. I'm sure he'll go with all the best wishes of the club. Yeah, no, I would agree, and he's. And I think it, it's a it's a statement of intent from Bristol, certainly. And I hope it. I just hope it works out for all concerned because it'd be a shame for Carl Sinclair to to not be somewhere that he's able to play his best rugby. Frankly, uh, speaking of Quinn's players potentially departing. Uh, Obviously, there's been a bit of interest in the, the growth of the player market in, in America and their new sort of domestic league. We've got some further sort of info on that, which is uh, Drew Mitchell is now confirmed to be starting to play over there. And I mm. thought he'd... Um, he, well, so let's, let's, be, let's say he's probably being played a, paid a pretty penny for that. <laughs> because he's, he's been retired for a few years now. Um, it's clearly someone signed a decent, decent check for him. Uh, but they've also... The rugby pass also indicating uh, Simon Zebo could be could be due to to move over there soon, and also Chris Robshaw, whose mm. whose who's most recent Quinns deal expires, I think at the end of this season, and he's going to be thirty four at that point. To be honest, if he gets a big money offer to go over to the states, I, could, I think it could be much worse. Robo Robo takes America. The, the rugby well passing in Miami with his bleach blonde hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We 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 have to give them credit. We we look at them a lot. The rugby pass usually on it with this, and apparently Rob Shaw and Zebo are due in America next week for talks. While the uh, there's a bit of a Six Nations break, so. But yeah, uh, the funny the funny aspect of this story is Drew Mitchell tweeted uh, a week ago saying, "Is anyone any clubs looking to hire?" My 2020 is not off to a good start. So Hashtag his tweet clearly went somewhere. 
Yeah, so it's three clearly went somewhere because uh, Rugby United, New York are looking to sign him, so fair play. Yeah, the use of social media. Can't blame him for optimism, can you? Uh, no. Speaking of the, um, <laughs> the MLR, MLR, it was a good story we did run across. It was um, the uh, the team in Austin that have rebranded, and it's um, it's interesting. Uh, the the Austin is it Jill Jill Gronies? I think it's still Gronies. Jill Gronies. It's um, yeah, it's weird. Uh, Apparently, according to the MLR website, the Jugos are named after a new Texas-sized cocktail to be released soon. Texas-sized, giddy art. All it does is make you think of the um, think of the Simpsons. Get your chili, hot, hot Texas-style chili. If <laughs> you think of that guy. <laughs> oh, let's uh, do more of this. I'm just waiting for um. I'm just waiting for the new upstart National League Two team. The uh, I don't know, be something like the Reading Blue Lagoons or something. That'd be uh, <laughs> the named after some guy, famous spoons. The <laughs> old old some guy, some guy on Twitter has tweeted Ruby Pass saying Austin Gilgroni sounds like an '80s porn star. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great shout. Does, uh, yeah, I'll give him that. That's a cracking shout. Yeah, it's a very good yeah. shout. Very good I there's definitely room at some point in this pod to try and put a, a list together of, of, yeah, make an English Premier League out of teams that can be shown like drinks. I'm already on the old and old fashions. Oh, very good. Yeah. Pilsner babies. The Aberdeen Arnold Palmers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's let's not do this now. Um, <laughs> let's... <laughs> We've um, already t- talked about Saracens, but obviously the announcement that Edward Griffiths has uh, has resigned as CEO, which I, he was only ever on a short-term yeah, kind of basis anyway, but he's walked away before the end of his contract, which I think is, having reflected on it, it's probably just a case of him slightly going, well, these extra punishments are down now, so there's not really any mu- there's not much point in me sticking around because he was slightly brought in to, to attempt to get them under the cap. And with obviously having failed, he's kind of walked away, which is fair enough. The ECB investigation as well. Yes, he is. He's under investigation from the ECB about a bit of dodgy dealing as a as a player as a was an unregistered player agent, wasn't he? Yeah, unregistered uh, agent for cricket cricketers. So a very shrewd move to appoint someone who's under investigation to run their club. I would say not. No, it's um yeah for all the for all the the, the good kind of accumulation they did with their playing staff their their off field staff seems a little bit flawed mm. but there you go um interesting moves that we could hear about um looking at tier two obviously we'd love to have had our dear friend glenn hicks on to talk about this as the expert on tier two rugby but we will carry valiantly on without him um but look at it basically an effort to try and put together a meaningful uh yearly competition for for tier two nations um, potentially looking at just putting together a high-profile sort of second-tier teams competition to not it wouldn't compete with the Six Nations, the Rugby Championship, but it would just ensure that these teams have a have a greater say in things. It's essentially, it's adapting the um, uh, the sort of Nations Championship ideas that fell apart uh, for the top teams last year, and basically. 
just trying to yeah, just trying to give these tier two sides more more game time. Which I'm frankly, if they can make it work, it's very early doors at this stage. But if they can make it work, I'm all for it because, well, I, I was say I'm all for it as long as they are then simultaneously given the opportunity to step up against bigger sides if they are regularly succeeding in that tournament. Because you look at the likes of Fiji, Japan, Georgia, Samoa, you know, these and even Uruguay proved it at the World Cup that they should be allowed to mix it with the best on a more permanent basis. So as long as they can balance the two against each other I see no problem with it in, in theory no definitely not it, we, we want to grow these nations we don't want to exclude them from the top table absolutely not I, I there's an argument that Japan could be included in the nation's championship anyway but the nation's championship has its flaws and critics already so I, I don't know maybe you could you could develop a southern hemisphere cha- championship and then have Argentina Japan Fiji Pacific Islands and another one, I don't know. But at least World Rugby are trying to make a difference and they're trying to change things rather than keeping it as a status quo. That um, in terms of the um, the uh, you know the Four Nations Championship is uh, it's not well received by all parties, I would say. Mm. No, no I, I completely agree with that. Don't have yeah. too much to say. That's rare. <laughs> Knew that would be coming. The talking man of Europe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, one more thing we wanted to look into. We couldn't not mention this from everything we've said about about Izzy Falau, but um, let's just say some ser- a serendipitous turn of events when um, Izzy Falau was, was announced to be making his return to professional sport. Um, he signed for Catalan's Dragons. I mean, we. I'm going to take a slight win on this. He may be in rugby league, but we did call that if he was going to get a contract somewhere, it probably would be in France. So I'm going to. Yeah, we did. A, we I'm did. I'm going to take that as a win for us, in a way. Um, but yeah, that was all announced and sorted. But obviously, he's uh, been met with varying opinions. But uh, and the, the <laughs> best response, I'm sure people have seen it, came from a. Uh, from Wigan Warriors, who uh, took took the opportunity to push their game against Catalan Dragons uh, at home on March the twenty second, uh, which will be their labels their official Pride Day in support of the LGBTQ plus community, which um, it's glorious. I, I, I would it's just say it's. Uh, I would certainly say it was serendipitous timing. It's glorious. It's- Shit out of the far highest standard. It is. It I is absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's shit but it's shit housery that's done so well for such a good yeah. reason that you just have to applaud it. Yeah, literally a mere. I think it was. I remember being on Twitter and I was a mere. It can't have been more than two hours after he got announced. Wigan coming <laughs> announcing that the game would be Pride Month. Oh, I just absolutely love it. I love it. Fair play to them. The only way they could have done it any better would have been just to make that announcement and then also include a video of Tyson Fury. Israel Falau, you are a dosser and a bum. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, yeah, fantastic. I mean, it seems rugby league, everyone's come out and just been very... And against it, and I think all the clubs are sort of backed. The RFL going basically. If you say anything again, you're out of there as soon as possible. I mean, you can question the Catalans' decision to do it in the first place, but to see the response from league, um, 
I think it sort of united the two codes that have been separated for almost 150 years in a very neat bow this past week. And uh, yeah, absolutely lovely to see. That yep. is right. That is all our all our huge scoops dealt with. We are going to take another very quick break and then we will be back for part three and wrapping everything up. Uh, we will see you in just a moment. back to part three which is where all hell breaks loose generally but you know we're, we're in a weird mood we've been showing loads of weird bootlegger videos in the gap between recording moments so let's uh let's see how this goes <laughs> Grueler. um right chloe has once again provided some questions for us i mean she's i hope she would she's had long enough to think of them so thank you chloe wherever you are um, first up, which player is most likely to choose plain ham, ready salted with water as their meal deal? Uh, that's a good question. Plain ham, well, he's basically saying who's boring. Yeah, who's bit. boring? I reckon, I, reckon down Dan, the line. I reckon Dan Cole. Yeah, I was going to say Dan Cole, Jack. I was going to say Dan Cole. Simon I, think, I think Dan Cole would take it one step further. It'd be plain ham, no man. <laughs> Simon Hammersley is such a good <laughs> Just because he looks like a, a nice young chap who would, you know, not take risks. Yeah, not to, yeah. Simon Hammersley is such a good shout. That is a great right, shout. So take it one step further, uh, plain ham, no mayo. Yeah. Yeah, just butter. Yeah, I've, I can't think of any better than Sam, yeah. Simon Hammersley. Look at that, look at that Robo, as well. Robo, 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 Kishopshaw. No, he runs a. Nah, he, he knows his flavors. He, he makes all his um pastas and Tupperware boxes before the before the week. Yeah, he'd be organised. Well, I think he'd have his help. Who's a bit of a foodie? You can't do that. Mm, I think Simon Hammersley is a good shout. Yeah, I'll take that. Mm. But, um, who's most played song of the last decade was Gangnam Style. Oh Christ, Hask. Well, to be fair, like, what, what, Gang, <laughs> yeah. what Gangnam Style was like, what, 2012? Just the big, yeah. the troll, yeah, just the trolliest player. Hask fucking loved Gangnam Style, sorry, I swore. And I reckon, I reckon Hask would have played it ironically, but he actually liked it. Yeah, and then he started playing it in his DJ sets. Yeah, Hask would definitely like Gangnam Style. I reckon he'd, he'd go for it. I, I can't honestly disagree with that. Yeah. I reckon he's one of those, like, or, uh, he's the bloke that, like, I reckon he's the bloke that like, gives it the big dogs about being like a DJ and everything. And out of nowhere, in the team changing rooms pulled out like early doors One Direction for the last. Yeah. <laughs> or um, I think Rico Ioane, he had when it is his try celebrations when he played for the Reds were quite on the button. I think he would have, uh, he maybe would have liked some um, Gangnam Style. Or one. sit. So I'm go, or I'm sit. Go, I remember sit going one, for the Rebels yeah. and doing the doggy under the post. A very go embarrassing moment. Say Ellis Genge secretly loves it. Mm, I, I thought that, but Ellis Genge is actually quite up in his hip hop scene, isn't he? So yeah, yeah, that's why. I'm not saying it's, it's, it's all the time, but I reckon he just secretly loves it behind behind closed doors. Yeah, fair. Right. Um, worthwhile question: Who looked most out of place on Love Island? We've done who should be on Love Island before. 
about a year ago. Who would like most? Who looked most out of place on Love Island? Don Brown with that rig. (laughs) (laughs) You think like you think like I was just about to say it. (laughs) We've got Tisa on. You think you think oh he looks good. He takes it off and you're like Christ, he's got a rig. That'd be the start. He'd come in with a t-shirt and all the ladies would be like, oh, come <laughs> He takes it and everyone just throws up or something. <laughs> he's sucked by the or pool. Or just run away. Like, You're right, lady. Christ, he's got a rig. <laughs> I think you can, I think you say you can see out Don Brand's rig from space. <laughs> it's that video with the spraying the champagne in the Quinn's changing room and he's on the table. It's an absolutely heinous crime. I'd like to I think Eddie's not picked him solely because of the rig. I think that's it. I'd like to it. briefly state on the record that we are all actually fans of Alex Dombrand. <laughs> yeah. But his no, rig I mean, is absolutely atrocious. I have I have, put, I have, literally the worst rig in the world, but Alex Dombrand is a professional rugby player. Has he not admitted he's got a bit of a rig? Well, well, Paul no, Gustav said he's, he's Gustav, got a uni rig. Yeah, he's got yeah. a uni rig. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's just funny. Especially for someone who plays in the back row as well. Like, from a prop, you could kind of like, I don't like it, but okay. Listen, he's an absolute physical specimen, so we can t- slightly take the mick out of his uh, dodgy rig. It's not as bad as uh, Malinga, the, the last year's World Cup. <laughs> oh, oh, that was that <laughs> shot on him on the balcony. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, just popping out of the trousers. Jesus oh, Christ. You know, why, you know why Sri Lanka's got a problem with with famine? <laughs> Massive Malinka. <laughs> anyway. Oh, Jesus. Moving swiftly on from that. Yeah. Um, final question. Obviously, in honour of the occasion. And actually, while we're recording, we've moved past the official server point. But uh, who's, who's throwing a Brexit there, party? Everyone. Who's who voted Brexit for the Brexit party? party? No, who's who's most likely to be throwing, who's throwing a party? Who's throwing a, a celebration oh. tonight for Brexit? Mm. I don't want to cast any aspersions to be fair. Jonas, um, I'm actually I'm going to go the other way with it. I'm saying like some of the French players are doing it. Yeah, got to see the back of us. Yeah. Damien Penot sipping a glass of vin rouge. <laughs> no, I reckon, I reckon, Pen- reckon Penot's on the out of Alco pops, that's the thing. I don't reckon he's <laughs> yeah. I reckon he goes for wine. I reckon he's still a kid at heart. Yeah. Whereas someone like Un- Untermack, I reckon, goes for the wine. I reckon he's old beyond his years. Mm. <laughs> Here we go then. So let's just go go through, name some French players and match them with their drink combinations. <laughs> no, that's a good shout. Okay. Go on. Yeah. Vincent um, Rattes. GMT. Pinot Noir. Oh, no. I'm I'm with Christoph. I reckon he goes for a bit of vino. Perfect. Uh, Rumi Vakatawa. Pint of stout. Oh, Cambry. <laughs> yes, yeah, so he, he's got to be on the pints, isn't he? He's a big lad. So this is wrong. Okay, yeah. Very well for you, uh, Antoine Dupont. Champagne. Nah, I reckon he's on rum. I was going to say, a, I was going to say a vodka and coke or something like that. Mm. Quite a slightly basic one, but you'd go with it. Johan Uge, what does he drink? Strawberry daiquiri. <laughs> <laughs> or a blue lagoon. Uh, I reckon he, I think he fancies himself a bit of a Bond villain. He's he's on like a martini or something. Would say that he'd be sort of like on martinis or something and getting behind closed doors, he's drinking like 
Carlsberg from the can. <laughs> That's a smashing point. Feels now. Oh, yeah, let's move off this very niche discussion. Um, yeah, oh, serious for the last five minutes, maybe. Right. Yeah, we're, we're going to attempt to be serious. Um, we're going to quickly run through our predictions for the Six Nations. This obviously starts on Saturday. All right, I'll go around. I want one word slash one name answers, and I will only... I, I will decide if it merits further discussion, because I'm God. Um, <laughs> anyway. Nice. Uh, winner. Christoph. Uh, England. Thomas. Ireland. Oof. I'm going to say. Hang on. <laughs> oh, Tom is Tom is doing right. everything he can. What are you saying, Jack? What are you saying, Jack? Um, Tom's taking the mick here. He's making a. It's worse when he was watching the cricket for most of the pod that one time. He's making an oblique reference to a some inflammatory things said about Steve Coogan by a member <laughs> of his family. Um, <laughs> right, winner of the Six Nations for me is going to be. Uh, it probably is England to be honest. Nice. I, I would love to have said France, but I honestly, a serious point. I don't think it will be a grand slam. Um, no, I think there's a good chance we lose. I, I think I said to you. To you lads, I think we're going to win both our home games, Ireland and Wales, which traditionally have been the toughest for us. We'll beat Italy away, and then I think out of Scotland and France, we'll win one and lose one. I'm not so unsure which one. Um, I think that's what will happen to us. I do think England will beat Ireland at home, but like you said, Christoph, I think England will lose away, so Ireland will sneak it by losing that game. Back up. It's yeah. it's going to be a good one anyway. Uh, we're going to obviously pick our wooden spoon. My question is, do either of you think it's not going to be Italy? I do actually really want to pick Scotland. Um, I want to pick Scotland. They're in a bit of... No, I'm going to say Italy. Are, are you actually prepared to stick, stick your neck out, though? No, I'm, no, I'm going to say Italy. No, I think I'm probably having to say Italy as well. And it's, yeah, I think, I think as with you guys, it's not because I want to say it. Um, which oh, no, I, well, more than anything, I really want, you know, a good... Yeah. I mean, it could be the fact Italy could even beat Scotland but still finish bottom of the table, just the way it goes. Yeah. Um, go we'll just see. We'll, we'll see. Right. Uh, player of the tournament. This is going to be the interesting one. You're starting with? I, I'm going to I'm going to go. Because mm-hmm. I think he's been waiting for the shirt for long enough. I'm going to say player of the tournament is going to be Jordan Lama. Oh, good shout. But then again, I said the player of the tournament, the World Cup, was going to be Willie LaRue. So what do I know? Well, it's not the winning team. He was offensively bad in that World Cup. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go... the least deserving World Cup winner of all time. Go on. I'm following Jack's lead on that. I want France to do well and score some tries. I'm going to go Damien Pernod. Never a bad call. Well, sticking with France, I think it's going to be um, Virumi Vakatawa. Ooh, another good. He did have a really good I, World Cup, to be fair. He had a very good World Cup. I think he's been in, uh, he's been in scintillating form for Racing. Um, he may not score. He may not be <laughs> He may not score bags and bags of tries. Maybe not as many as Pumano outside him, but I think he'll be really impressive, and I think he'll be sort of that driving force in the back line that France would. Uh, 
really rely on. I think it could be the one he really breaks out of. Obviously, let's fingers fingers crossed with all this tournament, everyone stays reasonably fit and healthy. Because um, yeah. we do, we don't. I, I just I hate it in games, especially as a neutral when you're watching and uh, someone goes down or a really players having a storming game goes down always frustrates me. So let's hope everyone stays as fit as possible. Agreed. Sorry, I was distracted. Did you actually give an answer to the question in the middle of that? <laughs> yeah, we're removing the hell. Fuck the hell. He's had about eight beers. He only had two beers. I'm an absolute grueler. Grueler. Uh, right, and fi- final call. Uh, predictions for this weekend. Wales against Italy. I'm going to start with Christoph. <sighs> I think it'll be a little bit of a feeling out process for Wales, and I think they'll only win by... 15. I was going to say Wales by 12. High scoring 15 points. Oh, sorry, Tom. Interrupted you. Wales by 12. I I say that, but I don't think... I think Italy will be stubborn, but Wales to win, yeah, by 12. Not an absolute battering. I'm going to go a bit higher. It still won't be a battering. It kind of will be, but Wales by 22. So I just think it'll be one of those things that they'll run away with it in the last 15 minutes and put on a couple of tries that they maybe don't deserve because every side does it against Italy to be honest uh, right Ireland against Scotland Tom I'll start with you mm. it's quite a tough one to call um, but I'm going to go Ireland by 15 mm. I think keeping that core players together we know the talent they have um, Scotland missing Finn Russell yeah Ireland by 15 yeah, I'm, um, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to say Ireland by 12. Yeah, 12. Yeah, it's a weird one. I, I don't know. So it's, it's tough to say. Will we just get a, a bit like that World Cup game where they just got blown out of the water? I think, I think it will be Ireland by 18. Take up. And I think they'll um, have too much. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's fair enough. And then... France against England. I'm going to fucking jump in first. I think it'll be a... Yeah, I'm going for it. I think England will win the tournament. I think France are winning this game. I think it will be France by two points. It'll be a very close one. See, I was going to go the same way. I think it'll be a bit of a thriller. I literally had in mind France by one. Oh, really? France by one. But was that your heart or your head? I don't know. I've just, got, I've just got a feeling. The romantic in him, isn't it? I've got, it's the I've got a feeling. Whereas you're going from a place of optimism, I'm going from a place. I, just, of I, just, I look at the fixtures they've got, and I just go: if they're going to win one of them, it's going to be the, it's going to be Le Crunch, I think. Mm. Like, See, I, I am, as an England fan, I am worried about this game heavily, but I still think England have enough. But England by four. Mm. I mean, let's face it: you're probably going to be right in all this, but you know. I think it's more just the fact that I'd like to see France win more games because I just look at the squad they've got and go, they should be winning more games. So, mm. what do we know? Anyway, yeah. uh, I think it's about time to bring this nonsense to an end. Um, <laughs> as usual, thank you, well, thank you everyone who's actually come back after our long hiatus. We really appreciate it. Uh, you can find us, as usual, on Twitter at Scrum Scrumpy Pod. Um, I am at JSK Colwell. We were at Hitchner 
Christy OB underscore 96, is it? Yes. You've changed it so many times. I I think nailed it. Yeah. At Christy OB underscore 96 for that man. Um, But yeah, uh, thank you very much. If you've been listening on iTunes or whatever, please give us a bit of a rating, a review, whatever. We appreciate it. Give us a nice little little ego boost to take into the weekend. Never mind that. Um, But yeah, uh, thank you very much for listening. And thank you to gentlemen for, for joining me as always. Thank you very much. Thanks, mate. Yep, just found that. Just that. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, thank you very much, guys. Um, and hopefully we'll be back next week to look back on what has been a hopefully very dramatic first weekend of the Six Nations and then build into the second. We're going to try and keep it going through the Six Nations weekends if we can, but after last time, I don't think we're going to promise anything. But uh, thank you very much for listening and enjoy the first weekend of, of what, Rugby Christmas. And we will see you later. Thanks very much.